Wall Street has a mental breakdown as Chairman Xi Jinping implements China's Common Prosperity Initiative. Today we're going to be tackling a little more complex topic, namely China's Common Prosperity Initiative. So there's a lot going on with this topic, and living in the West, it can be somewhat difficult to get accurate information to get accurate news about what's going on in China, to get realistic perspectives about what the Communist Party is doing in China, what sort of reforms and regulations are happening in the tech industry right now. By now, I'm sure you guys have seen articles like this one from Bloomberg Politics that says, Next China, Common Prosperity Over Profits. Or better yet, this article from Forbes. China's tech giants are giving away their money to avoid Beijing's wrath. So I'm sure those of you watching the show have seen one or two or multiple articles of this nature. Or articles, you know, from Forbes, from The Economist, just having a complete and total meltdown about what's happening with the tech industry, what's happening with the private school industry in China right now. And to keep it short at the beginning, essentially... What's happening is China, under Xi Jinping and the Communist Party, is implementing new intensive regulations on the tech industry, particularly on companies that have a lot of sensitive user information that the Communist Party doesn't want getting out into the wider world. But there's a lot more going on. Namely, China is trying to crack down on Chinese tech firms that are listing their IPOs in other countries like the United States that are using shell corporations for foreign investment overseas where the Chinese government can't access them, where they can't tax them, where they can't regulate them. I actually have a little snippet of an article right here. I believe this one was from Business Insider. It says, To dodge regulation at home, many Chinese companies that sell their shares abroad do so through a corporate structure called a variable interest entity. The VIE usually incorporated outside of China, allows Chinese corporations to set up shell companies and tax havens such as the Cayman Islands or the British Virgin Islands. So this is something we all already know about. We may not have known that it's uh, called a, a VIE, a variable interest entity, but we're all familiar with this. I believe the Panama Papers several years ago released the information that some of the largest corporations in the world were stashing their loot to avoid taxes overseas. I mean, in places like the Virgin Islands or the Marshall Islands, and even places like Puerto Rico, you'll have a, you know, a small skyscraper that will be listed as being the headquarters of like a hundred different massive corporations. For some reason... That's their corporate headquarters in the middle of the fucking Pacific Ocean or the Caribbean, right? And they do that so that they can avoid paying taxes to their home country. So one of the main things going on in China right now is Xi Jinping, the Chinese Communist Party, is cracking down on these shell corporations, on the tech firms that are you know, supposedly based in China, hiding all their wealth overseas where the Chinese Communist Party can't use it, can't get a hold of it, so that they'll have the resources to do things like fund a lot of its ambitious projects, such as becoming carbon neutral by the year 2060, or obviously the well-known uh, One Belt, One Road initiative. And like I said, Wall Street is 
not digging this because a lot of our you know big corporations our billionaire class have a, a lot of capital roped up in chinese tech companies and other chinese manufacturers but as you might imagine the american capitalists aren't the only ones that are upset about this no doubt the emerging chinese billionaire class is just as upset i'm going to go back to this bloomberg article and read a little bit of it for you to give you a perspective of how the Chinese billionaire class is responding to these new regulations. It says here, the clearest lesson companies appear to have come away with so far is that charity is good for business. Pinduoduo, the Chinese e-commerce platform, was the latest to put that wisdom into practice when it pledged this week to donate $1.5 billion for the revitalization of rural areas. Others have ponied up even larger amounts Tencent set aside more than $7 billion for social responsibility programs back in April, which the tech giant then doubled last week to $15 billion. Meituan Wangxing, BitDance's Zhang Yiming, and Xiaomi Laijun are among other prominent Chinese tycoons who have recently made generous philanthropic donations. And sorry if I pronounce those names wrong, they can be tough. With common prosperity, now clearly President Xi Jinping's economic objective for China, a corporate strategy centered around generating fat shareholder profits, looks to be a thing of the past. So obviously, that sort of response <laughs> is quite a contrast to what we could imagine would happen here in the United States if the federal government had a crackdown on the tech industry. Somehow, I don't imagine Jeff Bezos or Elon Musk or Bill Gates, you know, dishing out billions upon billions of dollars to help out, say, inner city kids or investing in a high-speed rail system in order to consensually comply with the federal government's plan to reduce wealth inequality and to regulate some of the excesses of their industry. No, I think we all know what would happen here in the U.S. It would be one of two things. One, the first thing these companies would do would ship what little jobs they still have going on here in the U.S. overseas to counteract that. And two, well, they'd ramp up their lobbying spending, wouldn't they? Try to get out whatever left-leaning politicians had the gall to regulate their industry out of Congress and put in some new corporate chills. And that, of course, is one of the undoubtable boons of having a strong centralized communist party in control of your social and economic system. But, of course, you know, you've got a lot of people on the western left that that criticize china uh some people call them the ultra left because no vision of socialism no vision of communism is ever enough trotsky wasn't enough mao zedong wasn't enough by some strange nomenclature even stalin wasn't enough i stand to reason that these folks even have a few negative things to say about lenin when no one's looking but you know the western left has a lot of criticisms of china they see the emergence of a billionaire class in china foreign investment in China as being some sort of deciding line that, you know, China isn't communist, China isn't socialist, it's capitalist, it's state capitalist. And it functions in some sense no differently than any other Western capitalist nation. And to me personally, that's something of a very narrow and one might even say uninformed position to take. And considering that, it might be worth giving you guys a small history lesson about how China went from, you know, the age of Mao Zedong with collectivization, the building of a strong centralized communist party, into the China that we know now, that is a, a tech giant, an economic giant, that is a superpower, which is on so many levels on par with the United States. 
To understand that, we got to rewind a little bit back to around the late 60s and the early to mid 70s. During that time, a man named Deng Xiaoping became prominent in the Chinese Communist Party. Deng Xiaoping in the Chinese Communist Party kind of saw what was happening in the USSR, right? They saw American foreign policy, you know, encircling the USSR, encircling China with things like the Korean War and the Vietnam, uh, Vietnamese War. And they saw how the Soviet economy was wavering, that it didn't have as much industrial output. It could not keep up, particularly in the consumer sector, with powers like the United States and, and those of NATO and Western Europe. And Deng Xiaoping was really a visionary because he understood that over time, the sheer economic might, particularly in the consumer sector of Western capitalist powers, was going to grind down socialist countries. There was no way that they would be able to keep up. You know, the West was withholding technological advancements. There was not enough socialist countries or allied countries to create a, a really lasting and powerful economic trading block. And so Deng Xiaoping and the Chinese Communist Party at the time realized that this would not last. Eventually, the economy would be withered down into shambles. They would not be able to provide for their population. And in the end, uh, the capitalist Western powers would emerge victorious, with countries like China and the Soviet Union having uh, no other choice but to allow uh, foreign investment from capitalists in without any conditions of their own. So Deng Xiaoping at the time started allowing foreign investment in China. They set up autonomous trade zones where foreign capitalists could come in and um, set up factories where the price of labor and the regulations were extremely low, which was obviously immensely profitable for foreign capitalists. But Deng Xiaoping and the communists got something in return for that commitment, namely Western technology and the chance to build up their productive capacities. Now, at the time, this created a lot of controversy within the socialist nation bloc. And it actually created a schism between the USSR, the Soviet Union, and communist China that would last for generations up until the collapse of the Soviet Union. Many socialists at the time, some of them even in China, saw Deng Xiaoping as submitting to the foreign capitalists, as spitting on the dream of Mao Zedong and a vision of a socialist China. But others like Xi Jinping, who was also growing up in the Chinese Communist Party at the time, saw Deng Xiaoping as what he was, a visionary that would eventually lead to China, as we can see now, decades later, being a technological and economic superpower on par with countries just as powerful as the United States. And now, several decades later, China has reached a point of technological advancement. They've reached a point where they have accumulated enough surplus capital. And as you can see here from this little image has completely usurped the United States as the main trading partner for the majority of nations around the world. They, they've come to a point now where they no longer need to rely on foreign investment. They no longer need to rely on foreign capitalists coming into the country and sharing their technology with them. They have the productive capacity, they have the surplus capital necessary to do it on their own terms. And so what we're seeing with some of this regulation going on is China beginning the process of decoupling from Western nations economically like the United States. And this coincides with things, like I said, the One Belt, One Road initiative, where China is building a global network of supply chains, a global network of capital investment spanning from Africa to northern Eurasia that stands to make them the most powerful country on the planet. And make no mistake, despite the rise of a billionaire class, 
China is still a communist nation. Its people and its government still have a vision of building a socialist society where the means of production, where the excess capital that is created from commerce is used to benefit all the Chinese people, and not just the Chinese people, but the people of the world as Chinese state-owned enterprises continue to invest in third world countries. And on that note, I want to read this article here for you guys from The Diplomat. It says, China's Communist Common Prosperity Campaign. The common prosperity ideology is the realization of Chinese socialism imposed upon market-based modern activity, which makes it especially hard for investors to interpret. I want to read this for you guys because, one, it's from a Chinese uh, reporter from a Chinese journalist. This article is great because it really gives a perspective of how the Chinese people envision what's happening with the Common Prosperity Initiative, how the Chinese government envisions it. It kind of gives you a nice little encapsulation of what some of these regulations mean for the future and how this all applies to the Chinese vision of creating a socialist society. It says, Chinese firms have been strongly encouraged to focus on working for the common prosperity, focusing on social value. Many firms are towing the line in order to avoid regulatory entanglement down the road. After all, the crackdown on the technology sector in recent months has been mainly geared toward protecting consumers and reducing the sway of large firms. China remains a communist nation. This means that, even though China is instituting regulations that are not entirely dissimilar to those in the West, the regulatory environment is much more concentrated and potent in the United States. We don't have a fucking regulatory environment in the United States. Let's be real here. And in some areas, ideologically led. How can investors make sense of this? And that's another reason why I like this article. Every fucking Western outlet that had something to say about this was literally just a fucking panic about what it's going to do to the shareholders. I mean, the shit was freaking embarrassing. No information about what the regulations are and what it means for the Chinese people. Just, holy shit, we're going to lose so much money. China's waking up and they're doing their own shit now. All right, let's go on here. After a slew of regulations rocked the technology, education, and online insurance sectors in recent months, firms have been scrambling to ensure that they are contributing to the common prosperity. Firms have engaged in a wide variety of endeavors, from investing in poverty alleviation to donating funds for COVID-19 relief. The founders of Meituan, Pinduoduo, Xiaomi Corp., and others have donated large amounts recently to social causes in the hopes that they will be viewed more benevolently by the regulators. Even more pointedly, President Xi Jinping recently called for stricter regulation of high incomes, which includes the ultra-high earnings enjoyed by Internet and other firm founders. Netizens voiced concerns over what constitutes high incomes and how it would be redistributed. Some experts view charitable contributions rather than higher taxation as the most ideal channel for this redistribution. So far, the focus has been placed on reducing large income differences in the form of regional gaps, urban-rural gaps, and income gaps in order to promote common prosperity. The idea of common prosperity is not a new one in China. It was first advocated for by Mao Zedong in his 1953 Resolution of the Central Committee of the Communist Party of China on the Development of Agricultural Production Cooperatives. The idea is to eliminate human exploitation and absolute poverty. Deng Xiaoping also followed the concept of common prosperity, but allowed for the fact that some would get rich first 
while others would follow. And that coincides with what I was just telling you guys earlier. Now that many people have gotten rich, Z has revived his ultimate goal of socialism. Z wrote in a statement issued by the Communist Party's Central Committee for Financial and Economic Affairs, we can allow some people to get rich first and then guide and help others to get rich together. But we must also do our best to establish a scientific public policy system that allows for fairer income distribution. Does it work? Assistance from private sector helped to achieve China's poverty alleviation goals, according to data from the All-China Federation of Industry and Commerce. By June 2020, there were 109,500 Chinese private enterprises taking part in the poverty alleviation program. 10,000 enterprises helping 10,000 villages, which helps poor households through industry and employment, according to the Federation's data. Over 15.6 million individuals have benefited from the program. Going on here with this, guys. The common prosperity ideology has resulted in an increasing number of regulations to protect the Communist Party's vision of the common good and induced self-correcting behavior among Chinese billionaires and large firms. It is a realization of Chinese socialism imposed upon market-based modern activity. And that's a key point we're going to talk about here in a second. Which makes it especially hard for investors to interpret in contrast to regulation in the West, which simply seeks to curb practices that can destabilize market inefficiency, Chinese regulation aims to inject a sense of fairness into economic practices. This fairness is viewed through the lens of the Communist Party, in particular through the eyes of Xi Jinping. All right, I'm sorry that was quite a mouthful and a lot of reading there. But this article is great because, as I said, it reflects a vision of how the Chinese people view what is happening with this Common Prosperity Initiative, how the Chinese Communist government views it. And the key thing here, this is the big one, market socialism based on modern activity. So I don't know about you guys, I know a lot of you guys are from progressive channels, but I'm a Marxist, okay? And Marxism is rooted in the studies and theories of Karl Marx. And one of the main things that he coined is a term, dialectical materialism. And people like Lenin went forward to apply that dialectical materialism to revolution, to persistent revolution, to actually creating a society which is based in socialism overcoming capitalism. The key tenet behind Marxism, behind dialectical materialism, is scientific. And trying to keep this short here without going into a fucking hour-long discussion about the details of dialectical materialism, it can be condensed down to this. Dialectical materialism is the study of how our ideas influence our material reality and in turn how our material reality influences our thoughts and perceptions of the world okay how does that apply to marxism how does that apply to socialism boil it down like this it is the idea that in order to create revolution, in order to sustain revolution, in order to implement socialism so that we can eventually evolve beyond capitalism, we have to take a look at current material conditions. How much money people have, how land is used, what sort of technology there is. We have to take a look at those things and think about how they influence our minds and our perspectives and vice versa. So this is what Deng Xiaoping's vision was. 
This is what the Chinese Communist Party is trying to do. They understood from the readings of Marx that socialism, that communism, cannot come out of just a feudal agrarian society like China was, like the Soviet Union was. You can do that, but you're going to have a, a lot of issues trying to implement it along the way. It's difficult. That's a different set of material conditions that are no longer relevant. Deng Xiaoping, the Chinese communists, saw this. They saw that the material conditions were different from the 1917 revolution implemented by men like Trotsky and Lenin. They saw that capitalism had taken over the world, particularly after the fall of the Soviet Union at the end of the 80s. They saw that socialist nations had no other choice but to work in the material conditions of a capitalist-dominated world. They understood that they were going to have to use the tools of capitalism against the capitalists. That the world functions, the entire world, from Antarctica to the North Pole, to Latin America to China, operates under a capitalist system. And that if we are going to impose socialism, if we're going to evolve beyond capitalism, we have to use those material conditions as the basis. And now that's what we're seeing. As I said, China has built up the capital necessary to go beyond capitalism, to begin evolving into a socialist society where the productive forces of mankind are better used for all of mankind rather than a benefit of the few. And I'm sorry, guys, I know that is an incredibly boiled down, incredibly condensed and non-nuanced perspective of all this. If you want to do more research, that's on you. This video is already running long as hell, so I'm trying to keep it as short as possible for you guys. But these regulations aren't the only thing that's been going on in China the last years that is marking the transition from building up capital, from being state-run capitalist, if you will, to evolving beyond that towards trying to create a more socialist society. In relation to that, I have this article here. It says, Xi Jinping returns to Mao Zedong-era system to lift millions of China's rural poor out of poverty. President Xi Jinping has pledged to lift millions of rural poor out of poverty, and he is hoping to revitalize a Mao-era system will do the trick. More than 10,000 primary supply and marketing cooperatives have been set up in the past six years, and funding for them is growing fast. Going on with this, Beijing is rebooting an old state-run cooperative system to help boost the rural economy. But after years of reform, some analysts are skeptical about how effective it can be in helping the country's millions of impoverished farmers. Since Chinese President Xi Jinping took office in 2013, the central government has rebuilt more than 10,000 primary supply and marketing cooperatives cooperatives, SMC, taking the total across the country to nearly 32,000. About 95%, 95% of towns and villages now have them, compared to just 50% six years ago. These are worker cooperatives. Worker cooperatives, if you don't know already, is a system unlike capitalism, is a system where the workers democratically decide how to run the business, democratically decide what to do with the capital that they create with their labor. Okay, this is huge. You may have heard that China over the last 10 years lift 100 million people, namely rural people, out of poverty, out of absolute poverty. This is how they did that. They took that surplus capital that had come in from the, capital, the foreign capitalist class in the autonomous trade zones, and they reinvested it in One Belt, One Road, all this stuff that helps working people, that helps commerce, but they also invested it by helping rural people, by helping 
peasants, if you will, create their own industry that they run. As a matter of fact, Huawei, the big cell phone giant, started out as a workers' cooperative. And it still is a workers' cooperative. You cannot own a piece of stock in Huawei unless you work at that company. This is yet another example of how China is not capitalist. It is, in fact, socialist. The government is committed to building socialism. You may not agree, as I also do not agree with every single thing the Chinese Communist Party does. You may not agree with everything that they do. You may not agree with their vision of socialism, you know, socialism with Chinese characteristics, as it were. But the fact remains, programs like this, programs like the One Belt, One Road Initiative, programs like these regulations going on, the massive amount of resources they're dumping to try to lift people out of poverty, to try to give everybody a home, to try to give everybody a job, is indefinitely rooted in Marxism, is indefinitely rooted in socialism. But yeah, guys, that's about all I have for you. I know this video went long as hell. It's probably, it's saying 44 minutes runtime on my end, so I'm sure it's about 30 on yours. You know, this was a very complex subject. Okay, and I don't know everything. I have been doing research the last two weeks on this. I've already been doing research prior to that, and I tried the best I could. I'm a fucking amateur, I know. To compile all of this, all these articles I read, all these interviews I read, into a cohesive vision of what's going on in China, how the Chinese Communist Party envisions it, how the Chinese people envision it. Because I know you're not going to get this sort of perspective from the Western media. But yeah, guys, as I said, that's all I have for you. As always, I'm thinking out loud. You know, let me know what you think about this. Drop a comment. Let me know what you think about the Common Prosperity Initiative in China. Let me know what you think about socialism with Chinese characteristics. You don't have to agree with me. That's not why you come to this channel. You come to this channel to try to get a different perspective, to get you thinking, to do your own research. So yeah, drop a comment. Let me know what you think about this. Is China moving in the right direction? Is there something more you'd like to see out of China? Maybe even give me several paragraphs about what would socialism with American characteristics look like to you and how would it differ from socialism with Chinese characteristics. But yeah, guys, that's it. As always, it's great hanging out with you. And until next time, I'll speak with you again soon. Bye. Yes, I know.